Let's pray. Father, we've sung of your faithfulness. We've sung of your love. We've heard of how you change people's lives. Father, we pray now as we open your word that you would speak to us again. We thank you that this is your living word. You long to speak to your people. And so we come, Lord, with ears to hear, hearts ready to respond. And pray that you would take these words, Lord, and use them to teach us more of yourself and to bring us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard or used the saying, we all make mistakes, that's why pencils have rubbers or erasers, as I think they say now. Have you ever said that? I saw it on a Christian poster many years ago when I worked in a Christian bookshop. It's always stayed with me, and I'm sure I've said it to people, um, and I've said it to myself on many occasions. Perhaps we should bring it a bit more up to date because we all use laptops now, don't we, and say that's why there's a delete button or an undo key on the keyboard. Um, But is it that easy in life? Is it possible to erase the mistakes that we've made? Let's uh, think about just a really simple illustration. I'm sure this probably applies to you. It definitely applies to me when in the heat of the moment you've said something that cannot be unsaid. And that person who heard it is deeply hurt, deeply upset, and the relationship becomes tense. That awful mistake, that awful failure, you wish you'd not said it. And although it might get sorted in time, that memory keeps coming back to you again and again. The rubber just didn't seem to be able to erase that mark that it left on the paper. Have you ever felt like that? It's still there, maybe a bit faint, but it's still there. You can still feel that mistake you made, that failure. Because rubbers don't always remove the mistakes that we make just how we'd like them to, do they? Perhaps we might feel for us, I don't know, you think about a pencil with a little tiny rubber on the end. Sometimes the rubber disappears, doesn't it? We've rubbed out so much and there's no rubber left. Perhaps we feel like that about our lives. Actually, there's no rubber left to rub out any more of the mistakes. Or perhaps we feel that our, our um, mistakes, are, are in, our failures are in permanent ink and they can't be got rid of. You see, well, if you're anything like me, you'll see, we tend to go over and over our mistakes, don't we? We live with that regret that we can't do anything about what we did. We judge ourselves by our mistakes. We may become anxious that we don't want to repeat those mistakes again. Or perhaps we might carry unforgiveness towards those who might have made a mistake towards us. Maybe you're not like me, but we're often like that, aren't we? Well, in our journey through the um, story of Joshua that we're on, we're into chapter 8 today. The Israelites, as you've heard every week so far, are now in the promised land. They've arrived, or have they? They were discovering that there was still lots of work to do, to live in the reality of all that God has promised them. And we too are recipients of God's promises, aren't we? As followers of Jesus, we have promises of forgiveness. We have promises of eternal life. But we still have work to do, to live in the reality of those promises. Well, chapter 7, last week, if you were here, Andy really helpfully helped us to navigate um, two serious mistakes that were made, two sins. Achan, do you remember him, the soldier who deliberately disobeyed God's instructions and uh, discovered that disobedience had uh, consequences? Like a mistake on the paper, it ruins the work if it's not dealt with, if it's not rubbed out, if it's not removed. 
And Achan found out that the only way to eradicate sin, the Israelites found out, was through death. And that was Achan and his family's fate. And it was only when that sin was dealt with that God's turned from his fierce anger. I love that, that verse. And I'm very thankful to Andy because he helped us think through the challenges of war and bloodshed that come up time and time again in, um, in Joshua. And I'm so thankful because it means I don't have to do it today. But I do encourage you, um, if you haven't heard last week's message, to go back and, and listen online um, to what Andy helpfully unpacked for us last week. You know, Joshua had made a mistake too. He pressed forward into AI, invading it. He listened to the spies who said, yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be okay. And I, I like to think that Joshua sort of momentarily sat on the throne of his own life and he pushed God off, decided to make a decision that sadly led to Israel being in defeat. And that's where I'm so thankful to Andy as well because he brought the good news, didn't he? And we needed it, didn't we, after that heavy passage last week, that God has offered us a way of dealing with our sin, with those mistakes, with those failures and regrets that we have through Jesus. Jesus taking death in our place, suffering for our sin. Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. So we can know forgiveness. We can know forgiveness from all those regrets, all those mistakes, all those things that we've done wrong, all those things that the rubber just won't quite rub out in our lives. But the challenge for us as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, is how do we now live in the reality of that truth that our sins have been forgiven? Because that's how God sees it. That's how God sees it. He sees us, the problem of sin and failure and mistakes as dealt with, as done. So the next chapter in the story of Joshua helps us to discover that. How can we learn and move on from the mistakes that we've made, however however awful that they might be. So I wonder if you would turn with me, if you have a Bible or on your phone, to um, Joshua chapter 8. And I want to begin by reading uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. In fact, I don't even want to read the whole verse. I'm just going to read half of it. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Sound familiar? Heard those words before? Heard them every week, haven't we? They're the words that God spoke to Joshua when he took over from Moses as he um, called him to lead the people into the promised land back in chapter 1. He said, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We've already uh, thought about this, that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. His promises still stand not even the mistakes, however serious they might be, have changed that truth. And it seems to me that as God speaks these words to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, he's saying, I'm moving on, I'm moving forward, Joshua, and I want you to come with me. Here, right in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, we see that God isn't looking back at the problem, it's dealt with as far as God's concerned. It's time to move on. God isn't dwelling on the mistakes. Oh, Joshua, if only you trusted me. Oh, Joshua, if only you hadn't been so hasty. Oh, Joshua, if only only you... But you might make that mistake again, Joshua. Oh, Joshua, can I trust... No, (laughs) that sounds more like me. (laughs) That sounds more like the mantra that goes on in my head when I've made a mistake. God says to Joshua something quite different. Joshua, do not be afraid. Joshua... 
Do not be afraid. Question for you this morning. Does fear of making a mistake hold you back? Does fear of failure hinder your life? Often when we've spectacularly failed, we look ahead and we wonder what the future might hold for us. Will we ever recover? We wonder, well, could we ever forgive ourselves? Could God ever forgive us? Or perhaps this might be true of you this morning. We become gripped with fear. Gripped with fear. Fear that God couldn't possibly use me now. But you hear what God says? Do not be afraid. Don't be full of fear. I'm moving on. I'm inviting you to come with me. And he also says, do not be discouraged. You know, Joshua could have been so full of discouragement in that moment, couldn't he? The army had lost 36 soldiers totally unnecessarily because of his, his failure. But God speaks so tenderly to him, doesn't he? Joshua, let's start again. Don't be defined by your mistake. Don't. Don't speak negatively to yourself. Don't discourage yourself. Rather, speak words of encouragement. Speak words of truth to yourself, Joshua. I wonder if you, like me, often speak negatively to yourself. We talk to ourselves about our mistakes, don't we? We speak to ourselves constantly of our failures. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I can take myself down all sorts of rabbit holes of discouragement and fear when I've messed up. But it reminded me of that sign, and I love this sign. It says, don't look back. You're not going that way. Don't look back. You're not going that way. And I think that's what God is saying here. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. No matter how badly we failed, we can always, always get back up again. Because God is telling Joshua here, and he's saying it to you and to me today, is a God of new beginnings. Second chances, maybe. Henry Ford is the founder of motor, uh, Ford Motor Cars. I'm sure you are very aware, aware who he is. Incredibly successful businessman. And he's um, famous for this um, defining mistakes or failure as this. The, op- the only opportunity to begin again more intelligently. The only opportunity to begin again more intelligently. I like that. He's obviously learnt from making a few mistakes, hasn't he? So this morning, I think we're encouraged to see our failures as a step. A step to get it right next time. A step to not dwell on, but to step on. Uh, uh, um, Our failures is a step to step on, not to dwell on. So I think the the Bible um, tells us something we really need to hear this morning. So I want to look at a couple of verses for those of us who perhaps are feeling fearful and regretful of the past. Perhaps we're regretting things that we've done that we just can't seem to move on from today. Things that we feel are defining us, hindering us from growing and deepening our relationship with God. I want us to hear again that God forgives and forgets our past mistakes. He doesn't hold on to them and bring them up to remind us of them when we least um, expect. Isaiah 43 says this, I, this is God speaking, I, even I, am him who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. I want to read that again. I, God, I am he who blots out your transgressions, blots out your failures, blots out your mistakes. However deep, however bad, however awful, 
for my own sake, God says, and I remember your sin no more. King David was someone who knew about failing spectacularly, wasn't he? Somebody who knew what it felt like to make bad mistakes. He had every reason to live a life of fear and discouragement. But this is what he was able to say. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. That's someone who understood that he had nothing to fear, no need to be discouraged. He goes on to say, and it's all about relationship, isn't it? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So what does God promise Joshua in these words? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Well, it goes back to what Lawrence reminded us right at the beginning of our very first uh, series, when we began this series. God's saying to Joshua, my presence is still with you. I am still with you. The problem is that sin spoils that relationship with God. But for Joshua, he needed to hear that that's dealt with now, which means that his relationship with God is restored. What amazing news this morning. For us, Jesus has taken that punishment for our sin. So when we do mess up, when we do make mistakes, it's no longer terminal. It's our forgiveness is ours if we confess our sins. Corinthians says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Joshua here is discovering that the relationship with God has been restored. God's presence that he promised is still promised. It's still with him. God is with him wherever he goes. And now that as that relationship is restored, and I'm sure you've experienced this, as that relationship becomes restored again with God, we are able to hear him again. We're able to listen again to his voice. We're able to connect with him again. Well, we've just made it to the first few verses, the first few words of the first verse. Um, But you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to spend that long on every verse in this chapter because we'd be here forever. But I really felt on my heart that that was something that God really wanted us to hear this morning. And so that's why I've labored it because I feel it's such an important message that Joshua grasped. Joshua grasped and I long for us Uh, to grasp today, maybe every day, because we need to hear it every day, don't we? Do not be afraid. No need to fear. Don't be discouraged. So what I'm going to do is just uh, read a few verses, pick out a couple of other points uh, from our passage, from um, from our reading this morning that will lead us, I think, beautifully into this wonderful table before us of communion, reminding us of all that Jesus has done for us. So if you have your Bibles still open, I'm going to read now from verse 1 to verse 9. Of Joshua chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. 
all of you be on the alert, and I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from the ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Well, we hear another, another battle, but very different. God's doing something new here, a very different battle to the one of Jericho. We discovered that Joshua and the Israelites had become self-confident, hadn't they, as a result of the success of the warfare that they had against, and so they went against Ai. But now Ai are the ones who are feeling confident because of they thought they'd won this uh, battle against the Israelites. So Joshua and the whole army move out and attack Ai. Joshua here has heard God's promises and he's holding on to God's promises that Ai are going to be delivered into their hands. So he moves out with the army to attack the city, and God tells them to set an ambush very different to walking around Jericho. He places his best fighting men um, behind the city while a, a, smaller, a smaller group wait to advance on the city. And I think it's quite significant that Joshua chooses to wait with the army, with the men approaching the city. To me, there's no evidence of any fear here, is there? This is a new, courageous Joshua, isn't it? No signs of his past mistakes hindering what God's calling him on to do. No, no um, hindering his obedience to God. He's secure now in the knowledge that his relationship with God is restored, that he's been forgiven. And he's also completely convinced, we can tell from this passage, that God, it's God's battle. It's not his. And that God will give the city into their hands. And that's exactly what happens. The plan works and the men of Ai with great confidence come out because of their recent success. And as we read, the Israelites uh, pursue them. And we're told that not a single person remained in Ai. They're completely weak now and exposed. And this is what Joshua, um, God says to Joshua as, as he looks on at this happening. He says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. And as soon as he did, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and completely set it on fire. I find this fascinating that you just hold up his javelin or sword. I mean, what a crazy thing that God has asked him to do. But Joshua was learning a vital lesson here, wasn't he? That it was God who does the work, not him. It's God who's in control, and it's God who will deliver the city. And when we are in a restored relationship with God, when we submit to his will and to his ways as Joshua is, and when we're listening to him, Obedient to his word as Joshua is here, we discover that God will give us victory in the journey as we seek to follow Jesus. There's a lovely verse in Psalm 44 that says this, It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, the light of your face, 
for you loved them. I think that's what Joshua is discovering here. It wasn't anything that he could do. It was God at work. I love that, the light of your face, for you loved them. Because God loves his people, he acts. Joshua didn't give up until the battle was won. There's a story here of a, um, might remind some of you of the story that Joshua was involved in with Moses when Moses had his hands raised and the battle continued to be won while Moses was praying. And when Moses' hands got weak and his hands dropped that the battle started to be lost, I'm sure that Joshua learned so much that he then could see as God spoke to him of holding this javelin. And isn't it true that every experience we go through with God builds our faith that little bit more? So that when we face that next rough patch, when that we face that next bump in the road, that next difficult time when we, when we perhaps fail, we find that God longs for us to deeply depend on him because we know what he's done before. Our experience before builds our faith for the future. Joshua is such an encouragement to us, I think, of what it looks like to discover a restored relationship with God. But what happens when victory comes? Joshua's now experienced this amazing victory. He's seen God at work. And we get to those places sometimes, don't we, when we see victory over something really difficult in our lives that we've been struggling with. Well, at verse 28 and 29 say this. So Joshua burned Ai and made a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. All that was left of the victory that they had was a large pile of rocks. I wonder if you have any large piles of rocks in your life. (laughs) Any of those battle scars in your life from following Jesus. Things you look back on and you think, oh yes, that's... A pile of rocks that reminds me of a tough time when God did something amazing for me. But when you look at that pile of rocks, it holds no strength now. There's no power. It's just a pile of rocks, just a reminder, an important reminder of God's grace, of God's love, of God's rescue for you. Those rocks are really important, I think. Not to remind us of that failure, not to remind us of that sin but to remind us of the amazing grace of God in our lives. To remind us that it's God who wins the victory, not us. To remind us that our past is dealt with and that it no longer has to define us anymore. However big the failure, however fierce the battle, God is the one who delivers us and the God is the one who gives us a new beginning, a second chance. So I guess what I want to say this morning is don't let your mistakes steal what God wants to offer you this morning. Don't let your failure steal what God wants to offer you this morning. What does God say? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You might be this morning thinking, well, there are things in my life that I still need to deal with. There are things that still need to be defeated. But don't let them stop God being at work in you. We all have those things, don't we? We all have those things where we long. We're still in the battle, aren't we? Still in the battle. 
Today, um, the passage closes on a high, doesn't it? A pile of rocks, a reminder that they have won the battle. So you'd expect to be, we'd be straight on now in the story, the next battle, the next big victory, the next exciting thing that God's doing. But it isn't like that. The chapter ends quite differently. We unexpectedly go with Joshua, about 20 or 30 mile hike, to a place between two mountains, and there we stand. We take time out from the battle, and we go to stand and be with God. This is a a command that Moses gave to Joshua before he died, to go and build an altar on Mount Ebal, and that's what um, Joshua does. Let me read some of the verses to you from verse 30. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on on stones a copy of the law of Moses. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including women, children, and foreigners who lived among them. So I get the sense on the journey here that we're pulling into a lay-by or perhaps a service station and taking a rest with God. Here we realize that, yes, there are piles of stones that encourage us on our journey, but they won't sustain us. It's not the victories of um, serving or the victories of undefeated sin or the victories of success that are going to sustain us on this journey that God's called us on. It's his presence and it's his word. And it's here we hear again as we take time out to be in God's presence. We hear that call to obedience again. We hear that call to choose blessings or curses. Are we going to follow? Are we going to be obedient? Yes, God fights for us. Yes, we have the victory through Jesus our Lord. But there was a cost. There was a cost. And we mustn't forget the covenant that we've entered into. And here the Israelites stand between these two mountains and they build an altar and they and they um, have sacrifices to remind them that there's a covenant that they're in with God. God hadn't broken the covenant. God never will. But they'd messed up, and they needed to receive his forgiveness. I wonder today for us whether communion can be our Mount Ebal, because there was a sacrifice made for our sins once for all, that we could be forgiven. And so as I draw this to a close... I want us to take our focus back again to Jesus. Christ Jesus, all that he has done for us on the cross. So that we can remember every time we're faced with those fears, those failings, those mistakes. That Jesus has already won the victory for us and invites us into the journey. So perhaps today, for you, for me, communion is an opportunity to recommit our lives again an opportunity again to say, I want to follow obediently the call on your, of, of your, you on my life, Lord. I want to be one who glorifies and honours you in the way that I live. I want to be one who flees from sin 
that flees from anything that might hinder that beautiful relationship that God offers to us. So we're going to uh, sing a song which I think takes us so helpfully into communion. Once again, I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. <laughs>